morning, Grinders. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me there on Twitter, and it's Monday. So you know what we do here on Mondays. It's Mondays with McCool, James McCool, the co-author with me on the theory of daily fantasy sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass that you can pick up at theoryofdfs.com. As always, guys in the YouTube chat, I see you. I see you there. Give me those thumbs up, thummy thumbs in the chat. Subscribe if you're new here. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. James, you're you're wearing you're wearing a uh, a goat uh, sweatshirt hoodie. I am. Uh, well, I I did 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 you win yesterday? I didn't. Uh, I I didn't have any Jamar Chase. In my ten lineups, I I I I'd Higgins in the in the in the in my Kansas City stack. I played Higgins as the run back. It's not like the whole thing wouldn't have gotten there anyway in total. Uh so I mean to me the the stories from yesterday were were Jamar Chase and Antonio Brown just quitting in the middle of the game. <laughs> I uh, so I saw some some chatter in the discord about Antonio Brown and people saying, Oh man, like Antonio Brown just walking out on the team. And I thought that it was just regular Sunday tilt of like, Oh, Antonio Brown isn't getting me enough fantasy points. So I literally didn't even pay attention to it until I got on Twitter at like, I don't know, one forty-five or something like that. Cause, Cause I usually like I'll do models and then I'll leave the house for a little while. So I'm not sitting there with my phone, like sweating and stuff like that. Uh, but I look on Twitter at like one forty-five. And I see that Antonio Brown literally stripped his outfit and his pads and walked off the field. He threw he threw his he threw his uniform and equipment into the stands. And I was like, y'all, y'all weren't just tilting. Like he literally, I have never seen that ever. I'm 29 years old. I don't think I'll ever see it again. Did, didn't we see that? Didn't we see the defensive guy in the Bills or whatever? Von, Vonte, whatever. Like two years ago, quit at halftime for the Bills. Yeah, but not like, he like retired. rip off his entire uniform <laughs> on the field and like insanity, insanity. Appar- apparently, from what I've read, from the reports, from whatever, from the coach, I don't know that Arians asked him to get back in the game. Like, like as far as you know, the go like you're Antonio Brown. What? What? And he said, he said no because he's he's injured. And Arian said, no, you're not. Get back in the game. And Brown, Brown refused. So it's like, if you, and Arian said, if you're not going to get back in the game, then you're no longer on the team. And Antonio Brown said, pretty much said, fine, and just left. <laughs> and he, we, I, saw, we saw that that Snapchat or whatever with, with Antonio Brown waiting for an Uber outside of MetLife Stadium. <laughs> I, I, I thought that it was, like, before I saw any of the reports, I thought that it was because they were not targeting him enough and he wanted all the incentives that he would have gotten if he would have been targeted and like caught all that stuff. That's what I, and they were giving and him the chance to, he wanted to the game as a logical of a situation as this is the most logical situation and like result in my head would have been, Oh, I'm going to miss out on $5 million in incentives because I'm not involved enough. I'm just going to quit the entire NFL. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, okay. Uh, 
that was weird, man. Weird situation. That situation and the Jamar Chase situation, um, definitely the storylines of the NFL week for sure. Well, the thing with AB is that he was jock. That's the difference. Uh, it, w- it would just have been, ha ha, look at that, you know, right? If he's like 2% owned or something. No, he was 6,100 with, you know, Godwin out and Mike Evans. Uh, quite, right, right. Uh, quite, right. And that, that turned out to not be the case. It never is. Right. Uh, then we then the, the other thing on the slate was uh, the status of James Connor mm-hmm. for the Cardinals. And there were mixed reports heading into heading into Sunday morning on, you know, he's a when I whenever they say this, he's a true game time decision. No one's ever a true game time decision. Mm-hmm. Right. They say that. to I don't know to protect the game plan. Who's game planning against James Conner? It's like, okay, he's going to run into the line 20 times for two yards. Like what, what does it matter? Right. Uh, So whether or not you planned for it or didn't plan for it, well, then it wouldn't have mattered. He didn't do it. He only got 13 points. Uh, I played a bunch of lines with Christian Kirk in the flex because Chase Edmonds, 5,700, like not caring if I have either of them, but I I was based on Chase Edmonds' projection. If Connor was out, he would have been like the second best running back play on the slate from a salary adjusted value standpoint. Uh, I I mean I prepared for. It. I mean I'm just like I'm not going to plug him into my running back spots. But it's like well, whoever I I could always switch to so many other wide receivers that I left that in ten of my lineups. I had like five lineups that I left specifically a $5,800 type of guy in the flex, possibly with, you know, 2v2, 3v3 type of uh, optionality, just so I could get uh, Chase Edmonds. And we got the Connor news that he was officially inactive and uh, and Edmonds sucked anyway. And he still got only got 13 points. Uh, and we could see here in results DB, I brought up the main event millionaire, which is the high stakes millionaire, the regular Millie and the play action. 32% owned the main event Millie, 9% in the, in the, in the regular Millie and 6% of the play action. So you could see how many higher stakes, sharper players were doing just that. Yeah. Playing a lot of chase Edmonds on the other side. I don't know about you, but was there a reason Jalen Waddle was disowned? Yeah, I, he did well last week. But to that to that extent, to get that much ownership, because that's it. When I pulled up results, CB, that was the, that was the, other than the Edmonds thing, and also like Steven Anderson as the punt tight end over here. Like the disparity between high stakes and low stakes. Like, just when I looked at Watt, like I'm I'm going down the list and I'm seeing this this you know the yellow the yellow on this side going who the hell's this nine percent here eighteen and nineteen percent Jalen Waddle. Yeah, like it was six. It was sixty seven hundred. Like, I only I, I only had him projected for nine percent ownership, ten percent, I guess. Right, which is what what he came in on the main event million. Yeah, but I mean, I, I didn't I have him know. projected that way. I didn't have him projected that well. I mean, just like like in comparison to other players, like I had I had my aggregate had him at fourteen point eight nine. Yeah, I had him at fifteen point four. So right, it, yeah, nine. and then the average owners, yeah, nine percent ownership or so. Yeah. So I, I don't know what that situation was about. I, I'm going to assume that somebody, some big 
player in the industry wanted to tout Jalen Waddle, I guess. I don't know. That's the only way that I can think of that ownership jump. Um, recency bias plus him projecting okay. Uh, who, did, who did Miami play? Tennessee. Yeah, uh, the, the, the pace of that game was it was like one of the lowest on the entire slate. Uh, I'm trying to. He got seven hit in the game yesterday. He got seven targets. He went three for 47. But I could see seeing 12, 11, 10, 9. You know, I mean, it's not like Jalen Waddle's like bad or anything. It has nothing to do with that. Just no, I think he was appropriately priced. He wasn't a value, right? He wasn't a value, right? I mean, but but even in just raw points, I had like guys like DJ Moore and Jacoby Myers and maybe not uh, Jacoby a little. I had Hunter Renfro. Michael Pittman, I had like guys that were like almost a thousand cheaper projected either the same or slightly higher yeah. than like Antonio Brown. I had higher yeah. just in raw points than that. So that's, that's, you know, that's the only looking at that going. I don't know. I don't know where that Waddle ownership came from. I mean, it's not like I played any of them. It's not like, Oh, I played Jay Wall, Jay, Jalen Waddle expecting him to be low owned 9% and he, and he came in at 18 and I made a mistake. It's just like, like, dude, I didn't even have any players in that game. What did AJ Brown come in at? Uh, AJ Brown. Brown. Let's see. Seven percent, seven, yeah, that's, eight, that's, nine. Yeah, around, around what 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 I expected. That's insane, though. Like, and like AJ Brown is seventy two hundred. Jalen Waddle is sixty seven hundred. About five hundred dollar difference. Like, I I had them basically projected the same, but I would have thought that people would have would have been more on AJ Brown than. Well, even Higgins, look at it. Look at Higgins. Higgins was 11% in the middle. Yeah. And look at the game he had last week. I mean, so like, why, why, why waddle? It, it had to have been like ETR or, or no, but it was. But I'm telling that what if I'm asking you, that means it's oh, not anywhere no, that you're right. You have, you have right. all of that. Yeah. Right. I, I that, that's, from. It's weird. right. that's why I'm asking. Like, there's that's certain things like I, like, I, I understand Braxton Berrios being owned. Right. Uh-huh. I mean, he projected. I mean, most of this is, is projection. Devin Singletary. I, I saw I saw Braxton Berrios ownership after the first touchdown, and I was flabbergasted at thirty plus percent ownership. Well, that was in the main event millionaire. Right? It was only twenty two percent in the millionaire. Yeah, no, I'm talking about the power sweep. Like, 30, yeah, the, yeah, power sweep. Yeah, would be he, similar to the thirty thirty. He ran like God last week and had fifteen fancy points. And so to have him at 30 plus percent owned, I had none, by the way, 30 plus percent owned. And like after running like Jesus last week and getting only 15 fantasy points, I was like, oh, man, this is fantastic. I'm so happy about this fade. Uh, Fast forward 17 minutes or something like that. And he has two touchdowns already in like five catches. I'm like, all right, that, that can end my week and that's fine. But my God. I'm uh, I, I I had him under owned at 30%. I I think that he was he he projected fine. I had him project for 13 fantasy points. He projected fine, but I didn't think that I needed him in any of the lineups that I built. He was fine, but I I did not think that he was a necessary I did not think that he was 30% owned necessary. No, no, I agree. It depends on your construction. But if you needed, if you needed a cheap receiver, there was no other cheap receiver that I was going to play, other than him. 
And, and he probably was played with a lot of Antonio Brown, right? As a, as a right, right. Of course. I mean, I played like Brady plus Brown plus Gronkowski plus Berrios. I mean, that's yeah, that, like that was, yeah. literally one of my lineups. Yeah. I mean, I'll bring it up on the screen. Right. Right. It's here. your best lineup. Yeah. Right. It's my best lineup. I played a bunch of Jared Paris and that worked out at 4,800. I, I nailed running backs this week. I was happy about that. But uh, well, you probably played you probably you had Penny. Penny was yeah. the only running back I didn't play. I didn't. I didn't. I just didn't even bother. I pretty much. I I had both David Montgomery and Rashad Penny in all three on in all three of my lineups. I had uh, one with. I had one with Sony Michelle. I had one with. Who else did I play? Like the I thing actually, about Rajad Penny in the in, in, in the, that in the late games was that like once Chase Edmonds was there at fifty seven hundred, like I would I mean even even if I had him even if I started with Rajad Penny, I would have went have down been. and played Chase Edmonds because I had Chase Edmonds projected for higher than him as it was. Yeah, Knowing no, that I, that late swap, you know, the late news will make him even lower owned. Yeah, uh, I I had Rashad. I didn't have Rashad Penny projected super duper well. But I I knew going into that game, it's like I thought that it was weird that the Seahawks were only eight and a half point favorites anyway. Um, I thought that it was weird that he wasn't gonna be higher owned than he was. Like I had him, I had him projected at 14% ownership, or no, not 14. But I have him at I had him at seven percent ownership, projected for seven percent. I thought he should have been way higher than that. I thought he should have been in the same like realm at least as David Montgomery and Ronald Jones. Um so I, I just thought that he was a really, really, really good play after the workload that he's been getting up against the the hapless Lions, who ended up actually putting up a lot of points, which is annoying. But um, I, I was really, really surprised at his ownership. There, there were a couple spots, like I mentioned in my article, that you could certainly play the chalk running backs. There was nothing wrong with playing Jonathan Taylor Alvin, or uh, Sonny Michelle, David Montgomery, or Ronald Jones. There was absolutely nothing wrong with playing those guys this week. Well, out of the three, uh, the one that I was uh, the least interested in was Ronald Jones. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I agree. Um, but uh, but of those four, like, I'm fine if you want to play any of those guys. I have no problem with any of those guys. But I didn't think they were necessary either. Like, on a 14-game slate, there were so many pivots. I had Rashad Penny, Daryl Williams, Josh Jacobs, Eli Mitchell, uh, DeAndre Swift. Like, all these guys projected just fine, like, right there with all the chalk. Um, and you really did not need to go with the chalk. That being said, I knew that I was going to be different with my stacks, so I didn't have much of a reason to fade David Montgomery, who I liked. I didn't have much of a reason to fade Sonny Michelle, who I liked. I could have gone Daryl Williams. I could have gone Josh Jacobs. I thought about both of them, but when it came down to it, it was like, okay, I don't really care that much about running back ownership. There's not going to be a lot of leverage gained on any of these guys, so I might as well just go with the ones to project well and not worry about ownership. Right. I mean, I yeah, I just I just built around my stacks and in lineups that I didn't like, if I didn't have Antonio Brown, if I didn't have cup, if I didn't have Berrios or something in that line, it's just like, why, why not just have David Montgomery and Sony Michelle in my running back? Right. I right. mean, like just, yeah. I mean, if you go down some of my lineups, like, like here, David, Mc, like I use Patterson as kind of the pivot. See, look, this lineup has cup Brown and Berrios. Mm-hmm. So like, I, why I'm not going to play Sony Michelle. I mean, I'm playing a Ram stack against Sony Michelle. Right. So I'm playing Higby cup, Stafford. Yeah. So when you play Jared Patterson there and you correlate the Washington football team defense with Jared Patterson, mm-hmm. right? Here's, here's one Sony Michelle, Daryl Williams. So this one wouldn't have 
David Montgomery in it. And this one is Patrick Mahomes, Darrell Williams, Travis Kelsey, and T. Higgins, not Jamar Chase, as, as the run back here. Yeah. Saving that spot for Chase at, you know, shaving, you know, this this could have been anyone, but you know, Chase Edmonds, nine percent don't chase Edmonds to me. Give it to me. I mean, just like yeah. he should that Chase Edmonds, if you knew if if you knew exactly that Connor was going to be out before Locke, should have been as owned as Tony Michelle and David Montgomery. Mm-hmm. So like getting a 9% Chase Edmonds, like just give it to me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh I I didn't I didn't rerun things after the after the news came out just because I I let people know like if Chase Edmonds is in, he's probably he, he's gonna be a good play anyway. But I right. was I was already high on on Dave Montgomery and Rashad Penny and Sony Michelle. And with those guys, again. I didn't think that it was necessary to try to work in Chase Edmonds. Chase Edmonds was going to project the same as those guys. So it just kind of came down to, for me, I focus a lot on running backs that are large favorites that I think are going to be in a winning game script, stuff like that, yada, yada, yada. David Montgomery fit that bill perfectly. Rashad Penny fit that bill perfectly. The only one I might have gotten off of was Sony Michelle, and that's why I only had two lineups with Sony Michelle instead of three. I could have seen going to Chase Edmonds instead of Sony Michelle. But, like, I, I was sold on Dave Montgomery or Rashad Penny. Well, the thing about Chase Edmonds is that I know his ownership wasn't going to be reflected. Right. And I like, that's, what, that's what it came down to me. I have to side with the guy that's under that's that's dr- more dramatically under-owned than other, than other guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could make the case that David Montgomery is – I mean, David Montgomery came in at, like, 26% on the milli. You could say that that could be a little bit under-owned, actually. Yeah, based on his workload and going against the Giants like that. But, like, I'm not going to pass up on on a 9% on running back that should be 20-plus percent owned. So, like, whatever happens, happens. It's, it's not a results-oriented thing. It's just like, yeah. right, oh, that could have been, that could have been, uh, that could have been Rashad Penny. Well, you could have been, but am I going to play a, a, a 14% owned Rashad Penny over a 9% owned Jace Edmonds? No. Rashad Penny probably should be 14% though. Chase Edmonds should be 25. Chase Edmonds probably should be 6,800 or 7,000 in this spot. And he's not. And I just live with whatever I live with. I mean, the, the people, I mean, Cooper Cup really technically didn't really get there. He got 21 points. But for 9,500, that ain't getting there. Same with Jonathan. Jonathan Taylor, 21 points really didn't get there either. Yeah, no, I, I'm. I mean, I'm not saying that Chase Edmonds was um, not underowned by any means. Um, I just, like I said earlier in the in the pod or in this video, I didn't think that the leverage was gained through running backs. I thought running backs were fine. Chase Edmonds was a very good play and a very good game theory play, and like we should hammer that home for for those watching that it was a very good idea to prepare for that situation with James Conner and Chase Edmonds. Um, we saw what happened with Chase Edmonds last week when James Conner ended up not being able to play. Um, it is a good idea to do exactly what Jordan did and use somebody like Christian Kirk in the flex. That was a very smart decision so that you could make sure that you could swap if you needed to. Um, what, and, and it, it also depends on what your lineup looks like as well. If you have a whole bunch of shock in your lineup, then certainly you don't want to take Sony Michelle. You'd rather take your shot with Christian Kirk without late swap with, uh, with Chase Edmonds. Or you could just play Evan Ross St. Brown and just win everything. Right. Right. You take, you take, you go, go to the, you take a six K player from the lions, right? 10 targets, eight for 111 with a receiving touchdown 
and a Russian touchdown. Yeah, I don't really know what to say about the Lions. That was that was impressive with Tim Boyle at QB. That was impressive. With well, it's, maybe it's more of a byproduct of the Seahawks defense. Well, that too, and Pete Carroll just like laying off the gas, but right, yeah, they're playing like prevent defense or whatever. Just like we're up by four touchdowns, feel free to do whatever the hell you want. Yeah, which is frustrating, but it is what it is. I mean, that's that's one of the reasons why you play that game sack correlation piece so that like if a team gets up big if you have a Seahawks stack then you bring it back with another wide receiver so that when they're playing prevent defense you get garbage time that's that's the entire thesis behind that Sean George asked how did you guys approach Trey Lance I played him in cash games but I didn't have him in any GPP lineups I would have played him in cash games but I would not have had him in any GPP lineups totally agree um, the, I think that the, that Trey Lance and GPPs really affected more how you felt about Eli Mitchell than it felt how you affect, how it affected your thoughts on Trey Lance, because Trey Lance is, is so much more of a runner. Um, he, he has limited in his last start, he limited Eli Mitchell's workload quite a bit. So that typically, I think that Eli Mitchell is somewhere around a seven K or $7,500 running back this week. I did not think that because Trey Lance does get around 25% of the rushing yards. So um Trey Lance I thought was like he was obviously the de facto cash game quarterback there was nobody else that you were going to go with but um not in GPPs I I, I thought he was a great fit in GPPs well GPPs he was way truthfully if you wanted to stack him that would have been the weirder way to play him because we could take a look here Trey Lance in the millie was 23 percent owned which is insanity for a quarterback but you'd figure at 23% ownership, it's like, well, let's take a look at Debo. 5% owned. <laughs> let's look at Ayuk. 1% owned. Let's look, let, let's take a look at Kittle. 4% owned. So it's like, yeah. how many Trey Lance that, what is it? Eight, maybe 17, 18% of all lineups in the Millie were Trey Lance naked lineups. Which is still, which is, which if you want to play that, that's fine. But if anything, you know, the, the problem with the with the, the 49ers is that like everyone else didn't project well. I mean, it's I, I know I know that you you uh, got some responses on Twitter for for for, mm-hmm. for a take of certain types. Uh Trey Lance maybe it's it's I, I view Trey Lance is very similar to Jalen Hurts, right? Sure. Like set similar in that. From a DFS, from a fantasy perspective, like Trey Lance is like Jalen Hurts, someone that ru- runs the ball, not the most efficient passer, right? Uh, plays for a team that runs the ball a lot as it is, so the volume is low. Yeah. Uh, but guys like Debo and Ayuk and Kittle are so project would project so much more better with Jimmy G. Oh yeah behind center than with Trey Lance. Yeah, well, especially Debo. Um, it has been hell trying to project Debo for my projection system because the majority of his fantasy relevancy has come from rushing touchdowns. So, like, when you try to project him with a quarterback that's going to take the rushing touchdowns and you're like, oh, I'm going to give Debo just receiving work this week, um, it ain't pretty. Because Debo Salem has a good A dot. It's like 12 or something like that. But he's been getting so little receiving work that that game plan has been very, very odd for my projection system to try to handle. So he didn't project especially well. George Kittle did not project especially well. 
uh, we we're talking about the 49ers who have like a 39% pass rate in the red zone, which is by far the lowest in the league. It's super, super, super low. So you have to expect that the majority of their fantasy points are going to come from the rushing game. So Debo gets a little bit of that, maybe like 15% of the rushing touchdowns, but you're, you have Trey Lance who has probably about a quarter of them. You have Eli Mitchell who has likely 65% of them or something like that. Um, and then George Kittle, maybe 40% of the receiving touchdowns or something like that. But when they're only projected for like 1.2 receiving touchdowns, uh, there's not enough to go around. Those guys aren't going to project well. I understand if you played Trey Lance naked at 4,800. As, as, as long as you like stack, essentially what you're doing is you're building a lineup to stack a game and then replacing the quarterback with Trey Lance. Yeah, and then move, and then move, and then shifting whatever you you shift. Right, like like I would like oh naked Trey Lance, and then a whole bunch of one offs. I it it really comes down to like let's say you play, uh, taking a look at the quarterbacks. Like let's use the most let's use Josh Allen as the better example. Sure, let's like okay, I'm gonna play Josh Allen plus Singletary plus Beasley or something like that, and you're like. Well, I'm just going to replace Josh Allen with Trey Lance. And then now I can play Jonathan Taylor in the running back spot. It's like, you're still, and then, then you also have like Russell Gage in that lineup or whatever from Atlanta. Yeah. But essentially you're putting in the game stack that you want, the main piece of the lineup, and then you're replacing the quarterback. It's not saying that Josh Allen is going to, is that Trey Lance is going to outscore Josh Allen, but in the comparative $3,200 difference in price, Josh Allen puts up 32 and Trey Lance puts up 26. You may rather have Trey Lance in the lineup and Jonathan Taylor's 42, assuming he got there, than having Josh Allen's 32 and Sony Michelle's 2020 in your lineup. So it comes out that way. But it's not that to me, when it comes to naked type quarterbacks, like I'm not just treating it. It's like, oh, well, I'm not stacking this lineup at all. Like if I had Trey Lance in the lineup, you could play Brandon Cooks on the other side. Yep. The so Trey Lance, Brandon Cooks, and then play a two plus one of another game. So you're just playing two guys from the same team without their quarterback because you have a cheap Trey Lance in there already. You're basically building a secondary correlation with your quarterback and another wide receiver. Right. But I think a lot of people, a lot of people in large field GPPs go wrong with like, oh, I'm playing a naked quarterback. So that means my, my lineup doesn't have to have any correlation. It's like, no, it would, you would still benefit from correlation. So especially when a lot of people that do use naked quarterbacks play like these, like I'm just going to play nine slots and hopefully I get lucky in all these one-offs. Like it would be, it would, it would benefit you more. You're remember when it comes to correlation, you're not doing it for the sake of correlation. You're going to be, you're doing it you're playing well-projected players that happen to also correlate to each other. Right. So a lot of people, a lot of people go wrong by, well, I'm just going to correlate like five different guys in my lineup and, and they include three guys that project poorly, but I got correlation. Why didn't I win? Why didn't, why aren't I placing lineups? Well, well, cause you're sacrificing too many points for the sake of correlation. Mm-hmm. Right. That's that's why like, I take a look through my lineups I'm not playing poorly projected players. And the more poorly projected players that I'm playing, 
the more that I have to play higher. But like if I'm playing a Dallas stack, for instance, and I had one of them. Let's see, go to my Dallas lineup. Lamb and Cooper really were eh, meh on yeah. DraftKings. So it's like, okay, if I play Prescott, who projected well, but Lamb and Cooper didn't. It's like, okay, well, this lineup, in order for me to raise my projection, I could put Montgomery and, Mich- and, and Sony Michelle on the lineup. I put Braxton Berrios in the lineup. I'm running it back with Zach Ertz, one of the higher projected tight ends that correlates with that. At the, at the end of the day, I, I left uh, DeAndre Swift in here in the Lions defense. But the main thing is that I'm not putting Lamb and Cooper in and then going, well, then I'm just, just going to not play Montgomery either. And I'm not going to play Michelle. It's like, well, I'd be sacrificing so much projection for doing that. Mm-hmm. And that's why, like, in lineups where it's like, oh, you're playing Cop, Brown, and Berrios in your wide receiver slots. Like, that's when it's like, okay, now you get Garrett Patterson and now Tyler Higby at tight end. Right? A very different defense, you know, because you're taking on you're taking on too much too much ownership here but you're correlating right stafford cup higby but you're not playing poorly projected players for the sake of correlation like even though like my worst line michael carter jared see i i played two sub 10% running backs because i was playing brown and and, and cup in my lineup yeah Right, this lineup didn't do all that well, and I just started changing stuff. Here, Michael Pittman. Yeah, I pl- I tried to play secondary con- uh, uh, correlations of the the Colts Raiders game. It's like Moreau, Pittman, Redfro. I could have gotten Zay Jones, but I only played ten lineups. Mm-hmm. I would have possibly had more of him, only because it was in what it was a game. It was a, a indoor game, right? I mean, like you never know. Well, the Raiders are super pass heavy too, right? And it was a low, and it was one of the lower owned games. Yeah, yeah. Overall, I mean, I, I think that people hear correlation so much when it comes to baseball and when it comes to hockey and and in esports as well. If you come from the esports side of things, like League of Legends is all about correlation too. I think that people start looking at those event oriented sports and they kind of try to carry over that idea of correlation into something that is less event oriented, like NFL. And they, they kind of get lost in the woods there a little bit where and it still applies to baseball though. It's still, it's still I applies mean, to baseball, but, but not as, but not as much like we, we're typically not having the conversations of uh, how much does this extra batter added to your stack uh, is worth the correlation. It's just, the coral, you're playing team. You're more likely to win by just playing teams in in MLB than you are in NFL. Well, and projections matter significantly less in in event oriented sports. Right. They still matter, but like they they don't matter near as much because it is one so, swing of the bat. One swing of the bat could be fourteen points. It's so volatile and so variant when it comes to event oriented sports. And if you don't know what I'm talking about when I say event oriented versus non event oriented. Um, we talk about it a lot in the course, but uh, theory DFS, that is, um, that there are kind of two different splits between DFS sports where you have event-oriented sports and non-event-oriented sports. And event-oriented sports are where 
there's a large swing of fancy points based on one event, right? So a goal in hockey is a large event that can affect your lineup in a significant manner. A home run in baseball affects your lineup in a significant manner. Whereas in NFL, we have touchdowns, which are events, but they're only worth seven points if it's a receiving or rushing touchdown, four points for a for passing touchdown. And those don't really like they matter, but they're not going to swing your lineup as drastically as 14 points from a home run. Um, so that that's what I mean when I say that. And so correlation. And, correlation and, and the thing I also explained that the non-event driven, so like basketball, basketball would be iterative right. scoring. There's nothing that any player could do in a in the span of one play that could get them 20 fantasy points. Like this, right. like they could get a steal for two points and a three-pointer for three and a half. I mean, like, yeah. But players are scoring a 40, 50 fantasy points. So one event, they have to rack up a series of events. That's the main reason why, oh, this guy's only going to play 12 minutes off the bench. It's like, you can't, it's, it's almost unplayable. Like, they, how are they possibly going to score that many points in 12 minutes in basketball? Right. You take uh, uh, the fourth wide receiver on, on a football team, could catch one pass for 80 yards and make value in one, literally one event. And the, the the eighth hitter, the crappy eighth hitter, still probably hits two or three home runs a year, and then 14 points, 16 points, two doubles or something. Like they, in one swing in. of the bat, like a crappy guy, cheap crappy guy could could still put up that many points. In basketball, that doesn't happen. In golf, in golf, right? You can't a uh, hole in one counts for a bunch of points, but, but at not the end of the day, a lot of points. Like relatively, it doesn't count for a lot of points relative to what our what scores what finishing scores happen in PGA. Right, nothing. But uh, there's no golfer. It's not like your your golfer's heading into the 18th hole, right? And you're you're down by you're down by 30 fantasy points. There's nothing that golfer could do to help it. Like the, the wow, he's going to score two points. I mean, like he, well, even if he gets an eagle, like oh, the plus plus four. Well, like, if it's an eagle that puts him into first, that does. But like we're yeah, but we're, even if going from second to first may only give you an extra five points as it is also. Sure. Yeah. I'm just saying uh, that there's no big you, you're not gonna sit there on in, on Thursday in golf and go, no, this guy, no cash. I mean, like right. there's like as you could in, in baseball, the third inning, guy comes up for a second at bat and hits it hits, hits another three run home run. Mm-hmm. And it's like, like, what does he own? It's seven percent up. It, you know, you ain't winning without him. Yeah, you're dead. Right? Either you have that team stack, or you have him as a one-off, and you might as well close your laptop. Basketball doesn't. You can't do five minutes into into a basketball game. There's no like, this guy's going on a run. They've fought, he has fourteen fantasy points on his first shift. Like, okay, we've seen tons of times they have fourteen points in the first shift and ends up with eighteen at the end of the game. The only time in NBA that I've ever felt that I was actually dead. After like five minutes of somebody shift, it was uh, it was this year. It was TJ McConnell when he had like six steals or something in the first, and he was coming off the bench, and he was like five percent owned or something like that. He ended up with a double double with steals, and I was just like, after six steals in the first, you're dead. You're dead if you don't have. Because he was like 3,500, he already had like 24 fantasy points. In large field, you're dead. But for the most part, exactly right. That in NBA, there's very little that can happen in five minutes to where you're like, oh, yeah, I can't win this without him. 
or 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 that you have someone that you like you need to have right right it's like oh the oh the first on oh, the first half this forty five hundred dollar guy has has it's twenty six fantasy points yeah you're like nope no you no one's gonna win without him and then at the end of the game he has forty fantasy points which is still great which hey for forty five hundred that's that's doing really well but it's still not depending on the size of the slate. He may still not end up in the winning lineup. Yeah. Well, right. If, now, now if he's seventy percent owned and he puts up sixty-five points at forty-five hundred, like yeah, then you're you're, pro- you're probably dead at that point. Yeah. Well, I mean, this year everybody is scoring fifty fantasy points off the bench, so it doesn't even matter. Like, well, everyone's also thirty-five hundred. Well, I yeah. mean, <laughs> they're just adding people to the player pool and just going. We don't know who these guys are, but they're going to be playing thirty-two minutes. Feel free to play them at three thirty-two hundred. I, uh, I I am done playing NBA DFS also this year. And the reason for it is, is Facundo Compasso. I'm just... He put Did up, he put up 61 fantasy points 61 the other day? 61 fantasy points. He's like 75% owned. And I had him as my best projected like value. I'm not saying that I projected him badly. But I projected him for like 30 or something. And like when Facundo Compasso is putting up 60 fantasy points... I'm done. I can throw. Well, you projected him for thirty because, but I mean, that's still like eight X's. Yeah, I mean, it's I, price, I so you still like top overall projected player, right? Like, in terms of value, and and but the, those kind of situations, man, that's that's the kind of thing that happens in March NBA. And I ha- I haven't played NBA in March in three years because I hate it. And like when that kind of stuff is happening in January, uh, or no, that was like the end of December or something like that. Like that's that's just I don't even want to know what March is going to look like. That's that's going to be. A nightmare. Sean George uh, in the in the chat. We we uh, Sean. I I've discussed this numerous times. Obviously, you could go back to uh, uh, probably a hundred of the shows in order to get the answer to this question. But I I will I will spend the time to answer this as I've answered this probably four hundred times this season. Uh, the higher he asks, can we go back and forth? Blah, blah blah blah. But my initial question was, with a higher expected score needed to win the contest, are you less likely to game stack? The larger field, the larger the GPP is, the closer you'd need to come to the nuts. The nuts, the highest possible score. The smaller the contest, uh, the lower the score you will likely need, right? Because you're competing against less lineups. Less okay? competitions. Right. So in larger field contests, getting the one-offs, getting this guy went off in this game, that guy went off in this game, that guy, getting getting all of them is going to be more valuable because you're competing against 100,000 lineups of people throwing stuff against the wall that someone will have a combination of a bunch of them. So you taking... Uh, Five plus three from one game, unless that game goes for 110 points, most likely the highest scoring wide receiver, running back, tight end, quarterback is not all going to be from the same game. So in a large field contest, the one-offs, having Jamar Chase as a one-off is much more important than having Jamar, than having a, a Chiefs Bengals stack. Right, because there's more lineup combinations in smaller field. The winning score may not. It, there are times where the highest score on the slate is not even in the winning lineup in a small field contest. Right, depending on the ownership. 
It's quite po- it's quite possible that Jamar Chase in some of the smaller field contests yesterday. I'm talking about smaller field, under a thousand, under five hundred. Jamar Chase may not even have been in the in the first place lineup. No, I, I think like three percent ownership because you have to get all the other spots right also, to some extent. So in smaller field contests for NFL, for anything, I mean I the coral correlation increased increases the variance of your lineups, but it could it also depending on the sport could lower the variance of it could lo- lower the ceiling of your lineups in a game like NFL. In a game like NBA, the difference is, is that in MLB, it, it doesn't because the batters can never be negatively correlated to each other. In football and basketball, players are negatively correlated to each other. If David Montgomery scores a touchdown, that's a touchdown taken away that Darnell Mooney could score, right? And there's a, only, there's a time limit on the game, right? So when they score... They give the ball to their opponent. So it's not like, you know, if you score, you get the ball back and then you can go forever. So in football and basketball, if one, if Steph Curry takes a shot, his teammate can't, or Wiggins can't have a shot also. In baseball, unlike those, the baseball game could technically go on forever. Right? So one bat, like the leadoff batter and the second, all the batters on the team are positively correlated to each other and they can't possibly be negatively correlated. Now, obviously, someone off the bench could be negatively correlated. I mean, obviously, a platoon hitter. But I'm talking about anyone in the starting lineup. Is They could go on forever. They, the team could score 700 runs. There's nothing that prevents necessarily prevents that from happening. So uh, thinking in terms of, well, should I play this guy as the five? Should I play a four-man stack or a five-man stack? The correlation can only be pretty much good for you. I mean, why not? At the two guys at the same price, at the same ownership, at the same value. One is more correlated to your lineup and one is less not correlated to your lineup. Play the correlate. In baseball, why not? Yeah. You can only, you can only benefit from it. That's why you see in, in MLB that in large field and in small field, most people are just playing teams. Mm-hmm. Not playing, you know, one, 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 two, one, you know, types of lineups and trying to get trying to get a nine, you know, a nine batter parlay of, you know, of home runs or something. Home run parlays, man. Right. But in NFL, I mean, I've, 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 I'm, I've explained this 700 times. So the larger the field contest, the closer, the higher score, the higher score you'll probably need. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how do you get to the highest score possible? By getting, getting all, all the one-offs right. So does that mean you can, and then, that this, this, this is the reason why I've explained it in previous videos and why I, why I always have to say this now because someone's going to watch and then they're going to ask stupid questions. They go, oh, so that means you can never do that. Like anytime you're using the word always and never, that means you know you've asked the stupid question. How, how, I saw a contest where a sharp player played a four plus two lineup in, in a large field contest. Don't you say that's bad? And then, of course, James... The four-two lineup it consists of because because of someone being out in that game, like five guys from the game, like it's it's they're the, all the highest projected players. Also, it's like yeah, because you didn't have to give up much projection in order to get that. So why can't you play a four plus two as long as the players from the game project well? Same thing we see in basketball, right? Oh, how many players from the same team can you play? Well, it depends on the salary of those players. 
right? It depends on how many minutes, it depends on how they project versus their salary, right? If everyone's underpriced, so in a, everyone's 3K, 3K, you can probably play five of them. If everyone's efficiently priced, you're prob- probably not going to play more than one or two. Probably maybe one, maybe two, because they're going to be negatively correlated to each other, but at efficient prices. So that's the key here is like what players are priced inefficiently. The more there are in a game, why not play them? To, why? If I'm going to choose between two players that same ownership, same projection, same everything, I can only benefit from correlate from having players from the same game. So why not do it? The question comes in on, do I play the guy that's correlated or do I play the guy that's not correlated? That's 0.7 points higher median projected than the one that is correlated. Well, the, the question isn't, do you or do you not? The question is, do you believe 0.7 points median is worth the correlation? That's it. Hence why you shouldn't be, probably shouldn't. I could play this guy or this guy. One guy projects 17 points lower than the other guy, but is more correlated. Well, don't play, who cares if he's correlated? You're not going to make up 17 points in NFL for the sake of a, when we talk about correlation, this is, we're talking about boosting the overall lineup by 3%, right? Stuff like that, James. But I, I, I always hate answering these questions over and over and over again, because then people also in large field, I never I never do it. in small field. I just take a game and I play nine guys from the same game. And it's like. It depends. It depends on the projection of the players and the salaries of the players. There are 700 variables in DFS that you have to weigh in order to make your build your lineups. Some are more important than others. So. Go, go, go weigh them and, and try to weigh them in your head. And you'll find out that having a tool to do it for you, having math to do it for you is probably more efficient and probably more accurate than you trying to do it in your head. And even if it's not more accurate, even if you're the best mental, like tangible thinker on the planet, definitely more efficient, definitely more efficient with your time because the model just does it in like half seconds. And you have to do it in more than half a second. So, taking a look at the main event, millionaire. I don't think Osimo. Now, Osimo Osimo did not have Jamar Chase. Yeah, it was a twenty-two hundred sixty-eight entry contest, and he did not have Jamar Chase in his lineup anymore. Yeah, that's what I was going to mention. Was that uh, Osimo did indeed win without Jamar Chase because it was small field, and he did not need the nuts. Didn't need it. Right, 214 points scored in uh, winning lineup in this contest. We go to the regular Millie, which is obviously 177,000 entries. Right, 214 isn't even in the like the top 100 oh. scores. Man. Right, 251. And of course, that was a yeah, obviously, Burrow, Chase, and Daryl Williams. Daryl Williams. Braxton Berrios. I don't even think I don't, th- I don't even think Osimo had Braxton Berrios in his lineup. Nope. Really contrarian lineup outside of David Montgomery, Wilson, Metcalf, Lockett. Brought it back. Amon Ross, St. Brown, Runback, 
Oh, it also had Rashad oh, wow. Penny super stacked. Right. Wow. Basically took the into basically. What? Well, why not take the entire Seattle Seattle offense? Essentially, that's this. I mean, other than what Gerald Everett or something. That's the whole Seattle offense. Yeah. And you're saying you're betting on the fact that Seattle puts up 45 points. You know what happened? They put up, they 45. Put up 45 points. But this lineup wouldn't have even cracked the top hundred in the in the, in the regular millie. No. He overcourt right. He played a four plus one. Ricky D here. Trey Lance with Brandon Cooks. A whole bunch of whole bunch of one-offs. But a whole bunch of high-owned one-offs. Yeah, we get different with uh, Amon Ross St. Brown. Yeah. Looking through some of these. Whistles go woo. So yeah, look, look. Cincinnati, right. Burrow, Chase, Higgins. Mm-hmm. Rex Burkhead. Burkhead, Michelle, I mean, this is a fairly chalky lineup. Oh, DJ Moore was 13% out of that? Yeah. But this is a fairly chalky lineup my, uh, other than basically Chase and Burkhead. Yeah. Because it's a small field contest. So, I mean, you don't have to get as much leverage in these contests. You need two guys to be less than 10% out of it. You're fine. Right. That's about it. Basically, just treat it like an NBA lineup. But that that is a, that's a wild lineup from Austin. Tyler Higby to kind of combat the Sony Michelle chalk. Or just whatever fits. It's at that point, I think it's just whoever fits in the tight end spot. That's all that matters. Oh, well, I mean, Tyler Higby, it's not like Tyler Higby was cheap. Right. Tyler Higby is also technically leverage off of Michelle and, and Cup. Right. If, if Higby has a big game, it's touchdowns that would be coming out of Cup's score and coming out of Michelle's score. Yeah. At 4K, like, yeah. I I mean maybe he had Tyler Higby projected very very well. I didn't. I I but hey, I am okay. I I didn't. I had nothing to write home about. No, that's Not poorly projected. How many lineups did he have in that? Is, is that a is that a single entry? What Osmo? No, I mean the contest. No, no, no. It's uh, sixty-eight max. Okay. Some people didn't play. I mean, most people didn't play sixty-eight, but yeah. 68 max at, at a 2200. That's a lot of money. That's uh you you could have you could have entered up to $151,096 worth of entries. So you could have gotten up to the point where you could uh 8x your, your entries. Right. I also I, I think that's an important point to note here. People are like, oh man, Osmo hit for a million dollars. Good for him. And it's like, if you think that Osmo's bankroll is anything less than a million dollars, I I don't know. It like it's cool. I think that it's less cool when when somebody like Osmo or you know, one of one of the big players ends up hitting for a million dollars. Just like, oh yeah, I mean it's it's a neat like achievement, I guess, but it's it's not that significant overall. No, he showed he showed his uh, his roto tracker yesterday. Oh, did he? I didn't see that. Yeah, no, he showed his rotor tracker uh, to make fun of it. The fact of like, well, this is the first time that Alex has has hit a million. Yeah, I know that as a as a as a prize in a in a contest. Yeah, but he showed he took he he highlighted the segment in his rotor tracker with the word millionaire. Yeah, but basically, that will only take contests that have the and it showed 
him down like $700,000 in contests that are entitled millionaire. Yeah. Right. So he all, and now he made a million dollars. So it's like, well, now he's plus 300,000. Right. <laughs> Which is kind of like a, a boring Sunday for him anyway. So, right. Well, that, that's, he finally, he finally realized his EVs there. There you go. That's really what it comes down to. That's how long it takes. $700,000 entries. We, we got, we got a, we got a new function in results DB. I just, I just looked at. What was that? What this filter entries button? This was never here before, right? I don't think so. Right. What can you filter with it? Filter entries by username, oh. by minimum points, minimum salary remaining. Filter by player. That's pretty cool. Let's see. Can we? Okay. So what? What do we do? Okay, we're filtering by. Let's see, Antonio Brown. And do, do we do Antonio Brown and and Braxton Berrios? Sure, yeah, go for it. Does that give us something? What does that do? Oh, and it just shows the lineups. Yeah, it shows all the lineups that included those two. That's pretty cool. Okay, but it doesn't give us like a percentage of it. Just shows the it just shows the entries. We go to ownership tab. No, okay, we we no, we don't have that. So, okay, so let, if we filter entries, we could also filter by, like, by you, obviously by username, I could just use the user, use the user quick search. But let's say minimum points, let's say 200. Submit. So only the lineups that obviously went to six. Okay. I don't know how, how much I'd use this. So, I mean, I could always search for players here. Okay, but search for... I think maybe the combination, right? How many Trey Lance, like we put Trey Lance here. And Debo or something. Like let's put D like, or probably Kittle, if anything, because they'll use a tight up tight end spot. Like how many, how many lineups had Lance plus Kittle? I guess a bunch. Obviously you're not going to see any of the lineups that like what the players' names are. Well, I mean, it looks like anybody who used Kittle ended up using Trey Lance's quarterback. Right. Because Kittle's Including, only 4% owned. Right. But let's say we wanted to see if anyone used Kittle and Samuel. If anyone did that. There you go. Right. So this was the double stack. Right. Lance, Samuel, Kittle. That was a sharp way to go about it. I think. Only because they were low on, only because they were. They were I was going to say it's counterintuitive. Guys, right, they projected but... horribly. Eighty-seven hundred yeah. for Debo. They projected poorly. Okay, I guess, I guess there's some there's some there's some usefulness. I would I would much preferred it if uh, it showed the percentage, like like whatever whatever this is up here, and it showed the number of entries. Like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine out of two, 22, 27 would be X percent. Get on it, Roto Grinders code person. Right. Mr. Backend guy. Well, we're, we're shifting over a bunch of stuff from Results DB with uh, the, the stuff that Labs had for the contest dashboard. Because obviously, it, Better Collective now owns both companies. Yeah. So there's no have some integration between the two 
So if, if you labs contest dashboard allows you to do like click bunch of name, you know, three, three players, how many percentage in the contest where these three players played together here, are the line, and we would show the same amount of lineups, Yeah, but it's just like, you would see the percentage of like how many people played that exact combination of yeah. players. But I just, I, I just noticed that. I mean, obviously because I don't check results DB until the morning of and everything. Yeah. But I have, I, and I, since I haven't been playing NBA, so it's just been my NFL stuff. But I guess, I guess there is a new filter entries in results DB. There you go. New, new something to play with. If, if it's worth playing with. But this, is there a way to reset this? Oh, okay. There. I got a reset button. Then you submit again. And then it dies. There you go. <laughs> now you get no entries. There you go. Back where, where, am I, where are my entries? I, I re reset it. We, we have broken it. There's your bug. How about if I go back to there and I go back to here? No. Nope. Uh-oh. I broke it. <laughs> I broke it. What happened to it? It should All right, back in. Oh, I have to reload it. Okay. Okay. So someone should probably fix that. Okay, doke. So uh James, you're still you even though you're not playing NBA DFS, you're still doing NBA projections. Yeah, well, I'm doing why why, why do that to yourself then? Why don't you just hibernate? For prop betting. Ah, yeah. ah okay. So that's that's the majority that I'm doing right now. Um I, because remember last last week I said that I wanted to challenge myself to try to be a profitable sports better, so I'm challenging myself to do that. Um, it has been good and fun, and I enjoy it a lot more in NBA DFS. So I think everybody should just be doing that and not playing DFS. There's no late swap in in prop betting. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing with prop betting. So even if you are very, very good at DFS. Even if you have very, very good NBA DFS projections, right? Um, you still have to be, not only do you have to be right about a projection, like I, I've been doing my recaps and um, like every day I post over on Twitter and I post what the top 20 of my models were and I post how many misses I had on the slate, yada, yada, yada. Um, today, for instance, I had an average difference between my projection and the actual for the players of 6.81 fantasy points, which is good. I'm happy with that. Um, but say like, for instance, I had Patrick Beverly projected for 31. He scored 37 in prop betting. I probably did pretty well with my Patrick Beverly projection, right? Like I probably did well enough, depending on what the prop was. If the prop was a bit under Patrick Beverly, then my projection Patrick Beverly would have made me money. However, in NBA DFS, even the 37 from Patrick Beverly doesn't really matter. So putting things together in that way, I just think that with NBA DFS, you literally need to have, I, I mean, we're seeing scores this year that I have not seen in a while yeah, because all the player pricing is inefficient because no one knows what the hell's going on from a day it's to broken day. it's broken it's a broken nba dfs sport there's 50 players to choose from every single slate and so instead of trying to nail the right 10 of those 50 players i can just go just prop hit. bet on all 50 of them and just and if you get 30 out of 50 right you make money then i have a 12 percent roi and i'm happy right. I'm, right. I'm happy on that for the day so um, I, I have enjoyed the process of, of prop betting and, and 
like we talked about uh, last week, because we did a lot, if you guys didn't watch the show last week, Jordan and I talked a lot about sports betting and about prop markets and everything like that last week. Um, right now, with the way that COVID is going, there's massive opportunity. If you just have your phone in front of you and somebody gets ruled out, you can just like snap. You have like 10 seconds to go to go to the sports book. And if you're knowledgeable about the team and if you're knowledgeable about the situation, somebody gets ruled out, you can just instantly place 1% on their, on their overs for props before it gets pulled down. And like you automatically have EV on. So for me, from, from my process, that has been more fruitful for sure. Um, I've enjoyed it more. So I certainly think that if you are not already dabbling in sports betting and, and like props specifically for NBA, right now is a really, really good time to get introduced to it. People can find your models over at paydirtdfs.com. Yeah, paydirtdfs.com. Um, and the Discord is now free, actually. So if you wanted to come jump in the Discord as well, uh, you can go ahead and do that. There's a link to that on the site. Um, I'm available mostly all the time, unless I'm I'm not wanting to deal with the tilt of NFL Sunday, in which case I'm not around. But uh, for the most part, I'm always there. You can find all the models paydirtdfs. You can find me on Twitter at paydirt underscore dfs or yeah, Peter underscore DFS. And I'm always in the Roto Grinders Discord and the Pet Blenders Game Theory channel. You could always post your questions in there. I get I get back to everyone. Uh, there's there's always discussion going on. We were going going over that uh, that get they, what we talked about on Friday that game theory problem with the card game. Uh, I, I eventually solved it. So like what the example that we gave on Friday wasn't exact. What wasn't the question? But Alex brought it up in the in the the zoom call we didn't understand why we weren't thinking in terms of frequencies and it turns out that that once you plug in one frequency it actually makes all it, it creates all the other ones and uh that that what we were being confused about during the zoom call uh you you, you could see if you go on the channel i explain uh that that game theory problem uh so so join us there if you're a premium member you obviously could sign up for roto grinders premium uh, combo, everything, single sport. Just click on the link in the description. Get ten dollars off your first month. And uh, if you if you want more talk like this, we got the course. Fifteen hours long. Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. How to think like a professional DFS player. You can get it all at theoryofdfs.com. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. We got NBA Grinders live later today on the channel and the NFL pre lock show. For Monday Night Football, hit those thumbs ups on your way out the door. And uh, and remember, no show Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, I'll be back Thursday here answering your DFS strategy questions, as always, on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com. <laughs>